Please be advised that the content in the Grave Tales podcast series is suitable for adults only. You're with Chris Adams and Helen Goltz for the Grave Tales, the series podcast. Today's feature story is from Grave Tales, Great Ocean Road, Geelong to Port Ferry, Ladies of the Lighthouse. Years of isolation, deprivation and often loss of children, even a case of madness. Who were the stoic ladies who accompanied their husbands at the Cape Otway Lighthouse Station? It takes a certain type of person to live the lighthouse life. It was a long way from nowhere. It was cold. That area down there, the wind howls in yeah. uh, onto Cape Otway from the Southern Ocean. And there's nothing really between the lighthouse and Antarctic. Yeah, and let's establish that this is the Cape Otway Lighthouse. It's where Bass Strait and the Southern Ocean meet. So it's perched 90 metres above sea level. Mm. And as you always say, because you love, it might be 10 degrees, but it feels like. <laughs> <laughs> a very hard place to get to even in those days. That's true. Sometimes you might not see anybody for six months until food was delivered. Yep. It was a very dangerous area too, wasn't it? It was, and there'd been lots of sinkings of ships through Bass Strait, and so much so that people coming from England were worried about that part of the voyage, and it was stopping people coming. The British Admiralty were actually considering not coming that way at all, which wouldn't be great economically for Australia either. But it was the Cataraki that brought everything to a head. Yeah, the Cataraki was an immigrant ship coming from Great Britain. It had 423 people on board. Only nine of those survived the terrible crash when it hit the western side of King Island in Bass Strait. And it was the thing that really, I suppose, embarrassed the government almost into having to do something about this and build some lighthouses. So the ship's captains approaching from that direction would know where the boundaries were. Mm, And just to put some perspective on it, the Kanaraki, it was just such a tragedy. It set sail on the 20th of April in 1845 from Liverpool, And there were families on board and children, 73 children on board, married couples. They're off to stray for a new life and excited by the prospect, as you can imagine. The storm struck in the afternoon and a lot of the families rushed up to the deck. And those that couldn't get up there, the ladders collapsed down below, so many were drowned. When the ship rolled over on its side, Mm. not long after, at five o'clock in the morning the next day. But some of them were still struggling and struggling and holding on. Even till the last moment, there were still up to 30 still clinging on out of those 400 plus people. But only nine were actually saved. And there was bodies around the shoreline and bodies hitting the rocks. It must have been the most horrific thing. So as a result of that, there were a number of places that were recommended for places where lighthouses should be built. And one of them was Cape Otway. They had to fight their way through dense forest of the Otway Mm. Ranges to get to the site where they thought the Cape Otway one should go. Mm. But it took several years of logistical challenges uh, to get the thing built And it was that long before it was finally completed. Yeah, August 1848. So almost three years, bar one month, to the time the Kataraki went under, that that actually lit the lamp at the Cape Otway Lighthouse. And it's beautiful. It's a beautiful spot. You've got to go there. So this was 1848. It's August. And now they need a lighthouse keeper. And they did have an initial lighthouse keeper, but he was let go. There was a little bit of a controversy there. They used the excuse that he did things that he wasn't supposed to do or qualified to do. He argued, of course, that he was simply fixing things that had gone wrong Mm -hmm. uh, and needed to be fixed so that he could do his job. They disagreed and he left. Then the long-term lighthouse keepers arrived. And the first were Henry Bales Ford and his wife Mary Ann. And they took up the posting and they settled and they had seven children while stationed there. Mm -hmm. 
And it was a bit of an unpredictable life. First of all, what I found was truly amazing was that the food was rationed because, you know, they had to bring food in and that didn't happen regularly. But anybody who got shipwrecked there was also cared for by them. So they're in this very small cottage with seven kids and the two of them and whoever else got washed up ashore eating off the same supplies. And the other thing I find truly amazing is that Marianne and the children were charged against Henry's pay. Like, yeah. you'd think they'd be so grateful to have someone out there that they might allow a family to sort of stipend, but no. They charged Henry for his wife and children's keep. He worked 68 hours a week and he got paid £13 a fortnight. I'm not sure whether that was a lot of money or not, but I suspect it probably wasn't. The leader newspaper wrote... Surely something ought to be done, as it can hardly be expected that the lighthouse keeper at Cape Otway can find it convenient to supply accommodation and food for so many men. And the latest telegram informs us that some of them are stricken with sickness through the privations and fatigue they have already undergone. Poor old Mary Ann's looking after the hubby, seven kids, and all these people that are shipwrecked as Suddenly well. Lob on the, on the doorstep. doorstep. And to give you an idea of how hard it was to get to and to get supplies into, they only came every six months or sometimes once a year. Foodstuffs, all for the lamps, tools, and equipment. Bought ashore through the surf, there was a tramway that had been built up the hillside, and I imagine that was probably a tramway in a loose sense of the word hauled up where a bullock team and a wagon then took the supplies the rest of the way to the lighthouse which was another three miles so that was just to get supplies in and out and that was every six months so if you ran out of food you'd be a bit hard up let's hope they were trying to grow something there in those cold conditions anyway they were hardy folks henry and marianne and they stayed there they stayed there for decades and there's a lot of descendants who live around that area of henry and marianne yeah so were they there on their own or did they have assistance they eventually had assistance which introduces our second lot of lighthouse keepers so you know you can imagine they'd all have to get on because they're living in those surrounds together and the next people that came to join henry and marianne were sarah and thomas richards they were married with four sons james nine edward six william four and john one so there's quite a lot of kids out there now we're talking about 11 or more children at the cape otway lighthouse station and they came from England. It was a voyage of five months. So Thomas was appointed assistant lighthouse keeper to Henry. While there, Sarah gave birth to three more children over the next eight years. Wow. It was a busy spot. Quarters had lots of limitations. There was shared arrangements, only a wall between the two assistants' quarters, which didn't offer a lot of privacy, especially when there's a lot of children being born, may I say. Those children were created. There was a toilet or water closet, as it was then known. It was situated behind these quarters, and each time the door to the quarters were open to use those facilities, the fire in the kitchen hearth was extinguished. <laughs> the wind was so strong, the fire yeah. was blowing. It. So, yeah, yeah comfortable. Mm, not. Clearly, the Fords enjoyed the place, the fact that they were there for so long. How did the riches go? Well, that's interesting because Sarah's health declined while she was there. Now, I don't know whether it was because of the location or because of childbirth or because of general illness, but her health declined while she was there. And at one stage, Henry Ford wrote a letter seeking help for her after her son, Walter Thomas, was born. Mm. He described Sarah as being dangerous and said he'd be worried about who could care for her children if something happened to her, but he'd never had a more capable assistant in Thomas and didn't want to lose him. So he didn't want him to resign. Could they get assistance? But, you know, nothing happened. They all remained. They worked there for another six years, actually. Sarah had two more children, Anne and Alice. Alice didn't survive, but Anne did. Thomas purchased a grazier's property in 1865, and they went and lived there and left Cape Otterway. But he didn't get to be a grazier for very long. He died suddenly about six years later. And Sarah was now 48 and left with three dependent children, the youngest being 12, and the oldest sons were now men. But I just have to mention here, 
before we go back to the lighthouse, Sarah's health continued to decline then, and it was probably a good thing she got away from Cape, by the way. Less than a year after her husband's death, Thomas's death, the eldest son, James, was granted a rule to administer the land, so to look after that property, because Sarah was deemed incapacitated. It's really interesting. In those days, you had to run a public notice, which is terribly... Demeaning. Oh, demeaning, isn't it? That's a good word for it. He had to put a notice in the Argus newspaper, which ran on the 19th of June, 1872, advising of his claim due to his mother's incapacity. The doctor agreed she was of unsound mind. Sarah was 52 and committed to Kew Asylum in Melbourne, wow. where she stayed for the next 18 years. And then at 70, she was transferred to Sunbury Asylum, yep. and she died there in 1908 at the age of 86. So it's very sad to think she spent her last years in an asylum. But Sarah wasn't forgotten by the family. There was a record of a priest and the son, Walter Thomas, visiting her before her death. And I think Walter was a, might have been the youngest, the very last son she had. So the mother of nine children who followed her husband to Australia for a new start lies in an unmarked grave somewhere in Sunbury General Cemetery. So meanwhile, back at the Cape Otway Lighthouse... Yeah, by this stage, Henry and Mary Ann had made it known that they were looking to retire. Yep. They knew it'd be a long process, and they said they'd stay till they got a replacement. And maybe they shouldn't have said that. I think, you know, the government well and truly took advantage of that. There was no rush to get them out of there. So after Sarah and Thomas Richards left, William Evans, who hailed from Wales, where he'd served in the British Navy, came ashore... Mm-hmm. <laughs> he came at the age of 28 to begin a new life and he was appointed to the role at Cape Otway Lighthouse. And two years later, he married in 1860 Catherine Carmody. Now, she'd be right. an Irish lass. Yeah, I reckon. She immigrated to Australia aboard the Prince Alfred and she married William, got married at St Mary's in Geelong. Okay. And they spent the next 19 years at Cape Otway wow. together. Yeah. So they went there, he was 28, a fair chunk of life. But after 11 months of arriving there as a married couple, Catherine gave birth to a daughter. Uh, Mary Ann Ford looked after her in the quarters. Mm -hmm. The birth certificate was scribed by Henry Ford, which is normal as his register of births, deaths at Cape Otway. He's probably the register of everything at Cape Otway. (laughs) The union did bring on many children. At one stage, Catherine had four children under six while her husband worked a night shift. (laughs) These women were stoic. And of course, they assisted the men too. It was quite normal for the woman to go up and do something that was required in the lighthouse if needed as well, not to mention looking after the shipwreck folk. But after five years in their duty, Catherine William lost two children in the space of just 18 months. It was 1867 and 1868. And I think the great tragedy of that was that those children may have survived in a town environment, but without the proper medical care and assistance out there, they lost them both. Their son Cornelius lived for one year and three months before dying, and daughter Catherine was ill for 22 days and died just one year after Cornelius. She was 11 months, so that was a great tragedy for them. But... They kept the light aglow. One of the things I have to say that mildly amused me about this story is that when the, the lighthouse keepers got a bit of time off, you think they'd get as far <laughs> away from the lighthouse as they could. Some of them did. They went to Melbourne for their annual leave. But it's understood that Catherine and William spent their holidays <laughs> camping at Air River, which is about 15 kilometres away from the lighthouse. Classic, isn't it? Yeah. Perhaps after coming from Chile, Wales, they thought this was, you know, home away from home. Well, it might have just been that it was too hard to get yeah. back and forwards any further than yeah. that. Yeah, and look, the kids might enjoy camping. <laughs> <laughs> How long does it take to go 15 k's in those days? Yeah. Oh, well, that's but a day's trip. the lighthouse continued to operate. Yes, it does. And in 1880, the members of the Lighthouse and Voyage Board, there is such a thing... The lighthouse what? And voyage board. And voyage board. Boy, B-O-B- oh, boy. Oh, okay. yeah. Voyage board. The lighthouse and voyage board stated in their report on Cape Otway during Catherine and William's residency that the keepers and their families were found very contented and living on the most amicable terms with each other. 
you'd want to hope so, wouldn't you? When you've got a door that <laughs> opens and the fire goes, goes out, out and you can hear each other through the walls and you're all living there in such close confines. Yep. I understand that the White House was decommissioned, I think, in 1994, but it still puts out a light of some sort. Yeah, it's earned the claim of being the longest continuous operating light on the Australian mainland. And it was decommissioned then, but fear not, it continues to keep the seafarers safe because a low-powered solar light now operates in the front of the original tower and emits three white flashes every 18 seconds. What was your best bit? when you went to the lighthouse and that little cemetery. The yeah. drama of the scenery. What was it for you? Oh, just that. Mm. Uh, that it was so rugged uh, yeah. and tough. And every time I go to that part of Australia, I can't help but think of the difficulties that people lived under there mm. in the weather. That part of coastline, the shipwreck coast, mm. as they call it, is unbelievably cold. Mm. Well, it uh, must have been hardy men, very supportive women, and those kids would have grown up to be pretty hardy too. And as I said before, there's many descendants of the lighthouse keepers in those areas now, the Fords, the Richards, the Evans, there's many of them still in that area. It's beautiful. We didn't stay. You can stay there. Make a day trip of it. Make a night trip of it. Yeah. There's a great little cafe, etc. But we went cemetery hunting. It's a beautiful mm. little cemetery, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Um, and we saw the Evans children there. And in terms of where they all ended up, in total in that little isolated cemetery, which is a nice little walk and you just follow the signage it's quite easy to do the cemetery's only about a 50 meter walk from the car park so you don't have to be a hiker to get there okay you'll find 13 people buried in the cape otway cemetery and they were buried between 1863 and 1901 and included william and Catherine's children Catherine and cornelius who we mentioned Catherine evans died on the 14th of january 1909 at lavers hill and was buried in colic cemetery her husband william from wales yes. died 24 years before Catherine. In 1885, he was 56, and he's buried in Williamstown Cemetery. Okay. We know Sarah lies in Sunbury General Cemetery. It's an unmarked grave. Yep. And her husband, Thomas, died and is buried in Warncourt Cemetery. Just between Winchelsea and Colac. Yes. As for Henry and Mary Ann Ford, I guess the pioneer keepers, yep. they rest in Melbourne General Cemetery. And they didn't have a headstone for a long, long time, and, but eventually they did get one. When they put up the headstone, the piece of sandstone that made up the headstone came from the headquarters at the Cape Otway Lighthouse, yeah. which I thought was fantastic. It is fantastic, and what a great tribute for someone who kept the flame going for so long. Feature Grave. After you've read the story of uh, Peter Jackson, the West Indian boxer who came to Australia in the 1880s, you'll want to go and see this grave. It is brilliant. He died in Roma in Queensland after he came back from overseas fighting. You can read all this in the story. He died of tuberculosis and his friend, another West Indian boxer who ran a hotel in Elizabeth Street in Brisbane, brought his body back down to Brisbane and he was buried in Tawong Cemetery. Then they set about he and Larry Foley, the boxing entrepreneur, and the public raised the money for his grave, which is a large white marble block mm. with a carving of a lion on the top of it mm. and the words this was a man on the side of it now we know about peter jackson and we know about his grave and everybody talks about the story of the grave and him and his fighting what they never realize is that buried right in front of peter jackson's grave is jack dowdridge the man who ran the theater royal hotel on elizabeth street and brought his body back down to brisbane mm. it's great it's a fantastic story and you know you said a great line when you were writing this book, which is part of what, the reason for what we do. You said that people who drive past that cemetery yep. never realise 
The, yeah. One of the world's greatest boxes lies in there. You drive past in the daily traffic going to work. That's why we love the cemeteries. There's so many amazing stories like that as we go on about our lives. And that's part of the reason for writing the books is yeah. because we talk about being able to learn about the things that happen in the places that you can still see, the streets mm-hmm. that we walk on, the houses that we live in. And in this case, the cemetery that you drive past and you're 20 metres away from the bloke who should have become the world heavyweight champion. If you have enjoyed today's episode of Grave Tales, please rate, review and subscribe by pressing the Follow Us button. You have been listening to a story from Grave Tales, the series, available in paperback, ebook, and select titles on audiobook. Music by Kai Engels. Purchase your copy at gravetales.com.au or from all good bookstores, Booktopia or Amazon. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram or on our website. Check out our YouTube channel as well. Or get a group of 16 or more together and come along on our Great Ocean Road Grave Tales tour and see the Cape Otway Lighthouse for yourself. (laughs) 